0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracetysd.com.
1: But you, O Bethlehem of Fratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And then Matthew 2, 1-6. For so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you for sending your son Jesus to come and um, live amongst people, live among us. live the perfect life, and die the death that we deserved. Uh, thank you for your gospel and your good news, um, and that we get to worship you today. I just pray as Randall uh, preaches his sermon that your word and your truth and your spirit is here uh, and present. Uh, and glory to God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Joe. <laughs>
0: All right, good morning, everyone. Um, as has been shared, uh, we are in Advent season, and Advent is this time where we get to uh, focus on the coming of Jesus. Um, if you're new this morning, I just want to welcome you. My name is Randall, uh, pastor here, and um, thank you for, for being here this morning. You know, for as we think about um, Advent, I, I love this time of the year. Uh, for some of you, you know, you think about uh, Thanksgiving and coming into this season now of, of Advent, um, I just love it. Do you guys love this time of the year? Uh, yeah, it's, it's just a wonderful, great time, um, but it's, it's, it's easily uh, a time where we can get distracted. It's easily a time where, where the focus can, can be taken um, off of, of Jesus and, and onto other things, and so, as we go through this series, um, my hope is that we will be able to see Jesus more clearly. That we will be able to see that Jesus uh, truly is um, in his first coming, that the importance of that, uh, but he's coming again. And just the hope of the second coming of Christ. See, that's the anticipation. It's not just this anticipation of nostalgic feelings, but it's an anticipation That Jesus uh, is who he says he is. And so today our text is from uh, Micah 5.2. We're really going to drill down on that text, but I want us to read that Matthew passage because it it helps us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment uh, of Micah 5.2. And so here's my goal over the next month. Uh, We're going to be looking at some Old Testament scriptures, uh, but we're going to be seeing how Jesus is the fulfillment of that in the New Testament, okay? So it all comes together, and and, and here's my prayer, um, that as we open these texts, that we will see that, that Jesus truly is who he says he is, that Jesus truly is who he says he is. See, that's the most important thing that we can walk away with as we come into this Advent season. So that's my hope, that's my prayer uh, as we go through the text together. Uh, Now, one Old Testament scholar, Graham Goldsworth, wrote this. He says, "'We do not start at Genesis 1 "'and work our way forward until we discover "'where it is all leading. "'Rather, we first come to Christ, "'and he directs us to study the Old Testament "'in the light of the Gospel.'" the gospel will interpret the Old Testament by showing us its goal and meaning. And so you and I, friends, we have something that when we read Micah, Micah didn't have. Today, we know about who Jesus is and what he's done in a way that Micah, the prophet, didn't have. And so today, we can come looking at Jesus, And now looking back in the Old Testament and start to piece this all together. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. And so the message for today is this, seeing Jesus in the silence. Seeing Jesus in the silence. Now in our culture, the word silence has become almost this negative word. The words awkward and uncomfortable are usually associated with silence. See, we don't know what to do with silence. Not too long ago, I was on a prayer retreat with different ministry leaders, pastors that were there, and we were just there, and there was a lot of silence. And one pastor said, I don't feel comfortable with all this silence. See, even a person that studies God's word, that's in ministry, and it's just so inundated and and filled with busyness, noise. You see, noise is a constant in our culture. A ringtone, a TV in the background, our earbuds in. Silence has become a neglected area of our lives. But research has shown that we need silence. One uh, Huffington Post article called Why Silence is Good for the Brain gave four scientifically proven reasons. They said silence can relieve stress and tension. Silence replenishes our mental resources. In silence, we can tap into contemplative thinking. Uh, Getting quiet can regenerate brain cells. I um, In a 2015 movie, In Pursuit of Silence, Dr. Helen Lee says this, she says, silence returns us to what is real. You might feel out of control because when silence circulates, it, it makes you uh, that much more aware that you're not in control. So it puts people against a wall and says, this is you and you're human and you're existing right now and this is your reality. Do you like it? And often, people say, no. So, they don't want to know that their moment is uncomfortable. See, in the silence, we start to see who we really are. See, in history, we find that before Jesus entered the world, God was intentionally silent for 400 years. It's called the intertestamental period. And in those 400 years, we see that spiritually we needed it because it was in the silence that all of history leaned to the edge of their seat, waiting for what was next. And after 400 years, God broke through the silence with the cries of a baby. See, God did the unthinkable. God became man, Emmanuel, God with us. See, as we think about the greatness of what God has done, we remember that it was breaking through a silence within history. Joseph Moore, in his song Silent Night, says this, Silent night, holy night. Shepherds quake at the sight. Glories stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. See, who did God come to to break the silence? He came to the weak. He came to the vulnerable. He came to shepherds who in Jesus' day were overlooked. These weren't the articulate. These weren't the ones that were in palaces. These weren't, these weren't the ones that were on the inside, but God came to them and broke the silence and says, I'm coming to you. Shepherds quake at the sight. John 1, 14 in the message version, it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. You know, you think about the word became flesh and blood and became like us. That's the point. That's the glory of it all. That's the beauty of who Christ is and what he's done. See, he broke the silence and said, I will speak to you in a a way you weren't expecting. And so how does God speak to us today? Well, our text that we're gonna study today helps us understand. As we break it down, the text is Micah 5.2 that we're gonna really break down and look at. And here's some background. Micah was written 700 years before Jesus' arrival. And this text tells us specifically how God chose to break the silence. So, how did he do it? Well, God chose to speak to us in three ways. He spoke, number one, to the insignificant, number two, through the powerless, number three, for the helpless, to the insignificant. Through the powerless for the helpless or the hopeless. And so the first one is this, to the insignificant. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. And so let's look at this together. So first he speaks to the insignificant. To the insignificant. You can see it right there. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. There's this thing I see now in sports where basically these athletes say this. You're too little. You can't guard me. You need to leave. You need to get out of here. You're just too little. As we read this text, we need to see that Bethlehem, Too little. There's nothing that can come that's significant from you. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are too little to be among clans of Judah, that's who God speaks to. Why? Because God cares for the lowly, the overlooked, the outcast. And listen to this. His power is best displayed through the broken and the weak. His power is best displayed through the broken and the weak. See, Bethlehem is being told, I'm gonna do something through you that you can take no credit for. You won't be able to take credit for this. As much as you want to, you won't be able to take credit for this. I'm gonna work through you. See, what do we learn about God? Well, we learn that God is not like us. God is not like us. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. See, God is completely different than how we naturally think. And let's face it how do we think? Well, recently, I've been watching this uh, show with my kids called Mighty Ducks Game Changers. And if you've ever seen the old Mighty Ducks, it's based on you know this hockey team, ragtag, like thrown together team that ends up winning everything. And you're like, that's not real. Well, basically, they made a new generation of Mighty Ducks. And I've been watching it with my kids. And, and it's been a fun show to watch. But there's this one scene where me and my kids are looking at each other like, no way. Because basically, this ragtag group comes together and is at this summer camp. And it's all the elite athletes. And there's this draft board. And so now the draft is happening. And the coach of the the Ducks has first pick. She basically worked her way up to get first pick. And she gets up there, and she, she makes her pick, and she says, I want Nick. Now, Nick was literally the last guy on the board. Last guy on the board. I want Nick. And everybody's like, what? I want Nick. And then she goes down, and she basically picks, like, all of the people that were at the very bottom of the leaderboard. You know, our kids are looking at each other we're like, all right, here it comes. And now we're back basically at the end of the season. Like, and they start winning all these games. And you're like, that's not real. It didn't happen. No way. They, okay, yeah, we get it. Like, they're working together as a team. They like each other now. <laughs> it just doesn't work like that. But that's what God is doing here. And it's not fantasy. <laughs> it's not some, some story that's being thrown in, in front of you and saying, watch this, and isn't that a nice story? No, God is picking the last pick first. See, before he does anything, he wants us to know that he's flipping everything upside down. And that is who God is. See, if you feel like you're down here, I want you to know that that's where Jesus says, "I'm going to meet you." And if you feel like you're up here, He's saying, "You want to meet who? You want to meet me? You want to know who I am? You got to come down here because you're actually here too. All of us are here. God came for us in that way. See, He calls out to the lowly, the outcast, the hurting, the weak. He calls out to anyone that would listen there's this parable that Jesus tells in the book of Luke, Luke 14. And it's this message, I I just want to encourage you to go read it. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, but basically encourage you to read it. But it's in uh, Luke 14, 15 through 24. And the parable that Jesus tells is this, this message of the great banquet. And at this banquet, the 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 one who's putting on the banquet says, everything's ready. I want you to go out and tell the people that that everything is ready for the banquet to be had. And so he goes and tells all those that are invited and they basically make all these excuses about why they can't come. And here's what the head of the banquet says. He says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Bring them in. See, to understand the kingdom of God, we have to understand that that's who we are. We've been watching a lot of movies recently. One of the movies that we watch is The Christmas Carol. And you know the thing about The Christmas Carol? Like, we love to see how bad Scrooge is, don't we? Like, man, he's terrible. Like, what a terrible human being. Like, how could he be that? You know what hit me? It's not till I see that I'm Scrooge that I can see the power of the gospel. It's not till I see that that's me that I can see it. But I want to distance myself from it so badly. I want to hold on to any kind of moral traits that can make me think that that's not me spiritually, right? But the great bank with the ones that Jesus is bringing in is saying, this is you, come on in. And the way that your reality is going to be changed is through identifying with the insignificant, the ones that are overlooked, the lowly. We got to know this, Friends. Augustine once said, He says, I've read in Plato and Cicero sayings wise and beautiful, but never in either. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You can, you can read the most beautiful works of literature that the world has seen, but he says, Never have I seen, in the greatest an invitation to come. You're struggling, you're weary. You got issues. You feel insignificant. You you feel looked over. Come on in. Come to me. See, our God is unique. And he calls to the insignificant. He calls to the hurting. He calls to the wounded. He says, come on. But the second point is he does this through the powerless. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. See, how did God choose to manifest himself? He chose to speak through the powerless. Through the powerless. Again, this is a reminder that there's no way that they could take credit for what was about to happen. He says, from you shall come forth for me. From you, yes, but it's for me. There's gonna be a ruler that's gonna come. Do you see how beautiful this insight is as we think on what God has done. He's saying, who is to be ruler in Israel? The greatest, right? The, from powerless to power. This tells us a couple insights about God. The first one is this. This tells us about who God is. Now, have you ever thought, what is God like? Wonder what he's like. Wonder how God would respond right now. See the encouragement is this, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Look at who Jesus is, look at how he treated those around him. You see, this beautiful truth of who God is doesn't start in the New Testament, but it is all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout the Bible. See, there's these gospel connections that are happening all throughout the Bible where we see Jesus. If you think about Bethlehem, many in the, the Old Testament, many of the, the times as we, they're reading, Michael would think of who? David. Right, David. But the connection is not just David. It's that there would be a greater David that would be born in Bethlehem as we fast forward. See, David is just a picture of the better that is coming. David Murray, in his book Jesus on Every Page, said, God has never manifested himself to men in any other way than through the Son. That is his his soul, wisdom, light, and truth. From this fountain, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and others drank all that they had of heavenly teaching. From the same fountain, all the prophets have also drawn every heavenly oracle that they have given forth. What's he, what's he saying here? It's this, that God as we look at the person and work of Jesus is fully embodied in him. See, God loves to confound us by, by speaking through the powerless and weak things of the world. He astounds us with His beauty through a lowly manger. Don't you see that this is the message of the gospel? First Corinthians 1:26 through29 says this: "For consider your calling brothers." As we look at Bethlehem, there's nothing that they could boast from because they have been chosen here. And so his coming was in the most unlikely way, through the powerless. Remember this. God chose to speak through a baby in a barn, not a king in a castle. You can't get any more vulnerable than a baby. You can't get any closer than a baby. You can't be any more powerless than a baby. And so think of Jesus' life. He was born, Luke 2, 7. He grew tired, John 4, 6. He got thirsty, John nineteen twenty eight. Grew hungry, Matthew 4, 2. Became physically weak, Matthew 4.11. He died, Luke 23.46. God became powerless so that we could experience his nearness and his grace. So it tells us about who God is, but secondly, it tells us something about the gospel. See, ultimately, God is not the man upstairs saying, get your act together Come on up here. Can't you fix your life and come to me? No, he's the God who who came to the brokenness of the world to be with us. In our most embarrassing, darkest moments, he says, I'll come to you there. The thing that we're most ashamed of, I'll meet you in that place. See, the gospel reminds us that the only way we can approach this kind of God is through admitting weakness, our failures, approaching him humbly, not with a resume saying, here's all the things that I've done. See, that's the message of the gospel. It's that in that place, in our weakest most embarrassing place. God says, I'll meet you there. See, I think about this season, I think about how many people are walking around, maybe on the outside happy, maybe nostalgic, but internally riddled with fear, riddled with anxiety, riddled with worry. they're continually it's it's this this challenge of okay can god meet me in the maxed out credit card can god meet me when i feel like my life is falling apart can god meet me where i feel like i haven't worked hard enough to provide what i feel like i need and this season is telling me that i need to provide can he meet me there? Whatever it is. Right the hurts and the pains. That that's where Jesus meets us. That's where he wants to heal us. Lastly, we find that he spoke for the hopeless for the hopeless and the helpless, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. See, why did, why did Jesus come? Well, this text is truly amazing because it tells us that it was written into the fabric of this world. It, it's truly the story behind every story. Look at this. His coming was from of old, from ancient days days. Is that not an amazing scripture? There's another scripture that goes along with this. It's not, I mean, it's not going to be on the screen, but it's in Proverbs 8, through 23. It says the same thing. It says the same thing. There was a, a Gospel Coalition article written by Joe Carter I thought the title was interesting. It says, Why Every Story in All of Literature Is Christ Haunted. Why Every Story in All of Literature Is Christ Haunted. Why is it that way? It's because of old from ancient days, there was one who was coming in our most hopeless state, in our most hopeless state. See, we watch movies like Star Wars, right? And we see in a galaxy, was it? Far, far away. We know it, right? In a galaxy far, far away, and then what happens is we watch all the movies. We make all the connections, and then we get caught up in this universe that isn't real. Right? But we get chills when we see it and we say, hold on, this connects to this, connects to this. And then there's all these, like, multiverses happening, right?
1: You're like, wow,
0: this is incredible. We watch the Marvel movies. And we start to say, wow, look at the look at the connections here. This, this was here and this was here. I watched that last Spider-Man. I'm like, oh my goodness. There's so much redemption in this. You know, like, wow, look at all these connections happening. Oh, here. Here's what we learn about this text. Jesus' coming was not some plan B. It was the plan all along. And that there was a story that was greater than any story that's unfolding right before our eyes. Because when you see that Jesus was at creation, the creation of the world, Jesus was at the fall in humanity's worst moment in the most hopeless moment in human history he was there that jesus was there standing in the gap waiting for the perfect time to enter human history and at the in the midst of the intertestamental period as there's malachi in between matthew he's saying have I got your attention? There's about to be something that's going to happen that's going to be a greater connection point than, than, than any movie you have watched, anything that you've seen. This is the connecting point. That your hopelessness, that your darkness, that your moments when you're sitting in silence and you have to really face, okay, this is who I am. Yeah, maybe I'm, I've been the Scrooge. And you got to sit with it. When you feel you're most hopeless and wrecked, he's saying, I got a connecting point right here. That's going to put your life back together. It's going to give you hope, it's going to give you a future. See, Jesus spoke up for the hopeless long before. Micah happened all the way back in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3.15, he gave us the first gospel. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is mightily as the darkness and the enemy has tried to destroy your life, the best that the enemy can do to Jesus is bruise his heel. But Christ is going to crush his head. He's going to crush the darkness. He's going to crush the worst that the enemy could do to your life. Because for some of us right now, we're riddled. We feel like there's, there's some really dark things. There's some really bad things that can just crush my life, can destroy my life. And I just want to tell you today that there is hope because of Jesus you say, I'll put your life back together, but you, will you sit in the silence for a moment and see that I'm speaking to you? Will you see that I was coming for you all along? Will, I, will you see that in your worst moment that I already gave you a promise that you could hold on to all the way from Genesis chapter three? Because from her offspring, we see that Mary gives birth to Jesus. See, Jesus came for the hopeless. And it's when we admit, man, I can't do it, that we personally experience the life-altering power of God in our lives and he comes to our rescue. I love this again. In John 1, it says... We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. Generous inside and out. True from start to finish. That's who Jesus is. And he came for the hopeless. And so just some takeaways as we wrap up here. The first one is this. God's closer than you think. God's closer than you think. See, silence does not equal absence. You get that? Like, silence does not equal absence. God was there during the 400 years of silence. Just because he was silent doesn't mean he wasn't there. And God is there during your moments of silence too. Of my silence and my weakness. He's there. Psalm 130 verses one and two says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Psalm 135 through seven says, I wait for the Lord My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. God is there in the silence. The second takeaway is God shapes us in the silence. God shapes us in the silence. See, if God seems silent, He may be calling you and me to lean into him, to get away to silent places of retreat. You see, this is more difficult, I think, than maybe ever to be able to do this. You see, it's continuing to pray when you feel nothing. It's continuing to read the word when everything tries to pull you away from God's word. See, it's in that place of struggle that he shapes you. Because God is not gonna keep us in that place, but call us to true life in him. To true life in him. See, there's some things that maybe we need to see in the silence that we need to repent from, we need to turn from, we need to say, This isn't life giving. This isn't what you've called me to, Lord. Because ultimately you're the Lord and, and I'm not. And so he calls us to a new life. God shapes us in the silence. The next one is God builds reliance during times of silence. God builds reliance during times of silence. See, we all need to ask ourselves this question. Am I more self-reliant or God-reliant? And it gets tested in the silence. It gets tested in those moments where we have to face, in that quiet space, what's really going on. I remember I was going through this season about nine months, a year ago, where I was like reading and and praying, and I just was like, God, what are you trying to say? And I was struggling, struggling. Struggling. And what I was realizing was that there are parts of my life where I'm really scared to trust God. I was really scared to rely on him. And I had to face some things to really get through this. But it was, it was, it was he was calling me into a deeper relationship with him. But for some of us today, we're like, man, that, that's scary because I, I, liked, I like my distance. I, I kind of like, you know, Jesus over there I'm over here. I'm kind of doing my own thing. But lordship doesn't work that way. Right? Like if we think about Mary, that did not work that way in Mary's life. But it was full surrender, it was full surrender. And so that's what God is calling us to as well. And he will build that reliance in times where it feels like he's silent. But he's still speaking. Last is this, God speaks through our weakness. <sighs> Gregory Floyd, in A Grief Unveiled, says this. He says, this is what is compelling about the cross, It's two aspects of suffering and glory. Christ suffered in the extreme for us. And by his suffering, he assured that two things will happen to our suffering. First, it will have meaning when linked through prayer to the cross. Second, it will be over. A better day is coming. New heavens and new earth, new bodies, unbent, unbroken, unstained by tears. This is our hope. We are not meant for death and sorrow, but for life and joy. Do you see that God can take the most hopeless situations and bring hope because of Christ? But God will speak to us through our weakness and bring us to that place where we see that at the cross, what looked like weakness was strength. See, how do I and how do you know that God is with us in the silence? Well, yes, we see that Jesus broke through the silence. God didn't send us uh, just another prophet, but he sent us himself. He spoke to us directly. And he spoke to us through the greatest act of love the world has ever seen, the cross. See, God the Father agonizingly left his son in silence as he cried for help. Psalm 22.1 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27.46 says, Jesus on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he do it? He knew why he did it. It was for us. See, Jesus endured the ultimate silence so that you and I can be heard when we cry out in our silence. And Christ hears us through it all. He hears us through it all. So he's with us today. Will you turn to him? Let's pray. Jesus, help us to see you in the silence. Help us to see that you came to the insignificant, to the powerless, to the hopeless. And in that, was the most significant, powerful, hopeful act of love that this world has ever seen. Help us to see you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at GraceCitySD.com. Gray City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.